Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. As the Vice President of Innovation at Alight Solutions, David Westfall drives new product innovation and design for clients. He takes a multidiscipline approach to product and business innovation, utilizing design thinking as well as his colleagues' diverse set of skills, experiences, and mindsets. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adam. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So you've had this rich career journey, and I'm, I'm very fascinated with kind of diving a little bit deeper into that. Can you talk a little bit about how you got from you know, where you are today from, and where you started? Sure. So I started my career um, at Intel. I spent about 13 years there, held different roles and positions and, and had different responsibilities throughout that career. In fact, one thing I prided myself on was taking new challenges, new opportunities, whenever they presented themselves, um, even if it wasn't in an area that I was necessarily the most experienced person. So I learned very quickly how to bring a diverse set of skills that I brought to perhaps a role that I had never done before and, you know, leveraging those skills, learning very quickly and, and frankly, bringing a different perspective to that role. While at Intel, one of the unique roles I took on was an opportunity to co-lead a research lab that we had in partnership with Carnegie Mellon. Nice. Yeah, it was one of those opportunities, Adam, where you, you think, wow, this is just so cool. Right. Um, it was an opportunity to work with some of the brightest minds anywhere on the planet. And we were exploring totally new, completely revolutionary kinds of technologies, concepts, etc. I was very focused on the technology aspects of that. But what Carnegie Mellon gave me was this fresh perspective around the human side of that equation. And that's when I was first introduced to this notion of design thinking. And that was before the design thinking, you know, uh, term was, you know, part of popular lexicon now. That's right. Yeah. That <laughs> was a buzzword, right? That's right. This was pre-buzz. And when I was first brought in to this notion of design and design thinking, I was very skeptical. And after seeing what it could do and how you could apply the learnings that design thinking and empathy-driven design bring forward, I was absolutely amazed with it. And that that's frankly how I, you know, got into the interest that I now pursue with a passion and that's around innovation and specifically using design and empathy driven design to help understand what that new opportunity might be. Absolutely. And I'm curious, so you obviously had kind of that first exposure to design thinking at that point in your career. What was the the previous version like in terms of how you approached innovation or her different companies that you've worked with, how did they approach innovation and what was the contrast between design thinking? What was kind of the light bulb moment that made you kind of fall in love with that? Yeah, the, the light bulb moment for me was when we had a, a diverse team of, of students and subject matter experts taking a very technical capability that we were developing in the lab 
and applying learnings through the design thinking process. It took us in directions we had never thought about before. So we had, as part of you know, a, a very strong engineering background, a certain concept of what we thought this technology would do and how it might apply. The design thinking approach blew that completely out of the water. They, they deconstructed the notion of what this could potentially do into such a broad area that we went into directions that, frankly, we'd never even thought about. And one of the examples of the technologies we were working on took us into healthcare, where we had never even thought about what could be the application used here. That design thinking approach is what took us in that direction. And when we started having conversations with local physicians uh, in the, the, the Carnegie Mellon area in Pittsburgh, it was night and day. Uh, It was just amazing. And it's something we hadn't even thought of or considered. And it would have never even surfaced had it not been for this design thinking approach. And for me, once I saw that, I was you know, the light bulb turned on, you know, the, the cheering chorus started and I was absolutely amazed with what this process could, could surface and do. It was interesting because I was watching a Netflix special around some of the people that were kind of the early group that uh, that founded Intel and kind of that that whole uh, notion of uh, especially the strong engineering background. Yes. So much of the technology innovation was around you had to really be a strong engineer, developer, right. or something like that. And the design thinking approach and being able to think about it from an empathetic standpoint in a human design aspect, I think, changes things quite a bit. So you mentioned technology and in. You know, so much of of that time period, that kind of you know, nineteen ninety five to two thousand eight, when you were at uh, Intel, so much of that was rapid change in the technology landscape. How has that affected kind of your view towards innovation? Yeah, so you know. As an, as an Intel employee, we were all taught, you know, the notion of Moore's Law. And just briefly, Moore's Law is the doubling of the number of transistors available right on a microprocessor every 18 to 24 months. So what folks really struggle with is what does that really mean? And it is not a linear growth. That is an exponential or geometric growth. So every 18 to 24 months, the computational power available to the masses is literally double. So it's not, you know, in four years doubled, you know, two or four. It's a growth pattern of 2x, 4x, 18, 16, 32. This starts to become, you know, complete game changers as far as what you can do given now the processing power available to you. So what I found fascinating about that and now bringing it here to Alight is, um, you know, Alight Solutions is a new company, right? We are 17 months old uh, with 25 years of experience. Um, And that has, you know, been an opportunity for us to really rethink, right, what we want to do, how we want to do it, and where we want to go. And I think this is one of the truly insightful uh, things that our leadership, um, our CEO, has brought to the table in that we're using now a perspective of where do we want to be in the next three to five years. So it's not about what are we doing next quarter. While that's important, we're also setting very aggressive 
inspirational, visionary goals for the next three to five years, leveraging a digital transformation that we are all as, you know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, digital transformation is affecting you. And with this three to five year perspective, now we can start to embrace notions of Moore's Law, right? So now you can really leverage technology in new and novel ways that perhaps a year or three years or five years ago wasn't even an option or conceivable, now is mainstream and every day. Right. Absolutely. So it's interesting. So you mentioned a light being kind of 17 months. 17 months. 17 months old. Yes. I had the, the pleasure of meeting the light leadership team about a year ago. And one thing I was so impressed with was just the fact that there was so much energy around um, trying to bring, bring new innovations to um, not just the marketplace from a, a client satisfaction standpoint, products and services, but also internally, just a, a strong commitment to um, bringing new processes internally. So Alight has been very involved with 1871. How do you see that relationship you build with other companies affecting innovation within your organization? 1871 for us has been an opportunity as part of our longer-term strategy to really rethink how we bring innovation forward. Um, Alight has been at the forefront of new technologies and new capabilities really throughout its 25-year history. We were one of the first companies to leverage computers in the administration and benefits administration uh, for HR for companies, you know, decades ago. We were one of the first companies to bring forward an app that our clients could install on a desktop PC. Uh, We were one of the first to bring a web experience to benefits administration and, and, and HR. And now we're looking at what does it mean to be mobile and what does it mean to have omni-channel capabilities? How do we leverage automation, AI, cloud technologies? So again, Alight is really looking at this as an opportunity to, to continue towards that innovation um, spark that we've had for decades. 1871 is a, a key component to that. As you mentioned, Adam, we were introduced a little over a year ago. And what 1871 brings for us is exposure to new companies, startups, new perspectives across an entire range of markets um, that, frankly, as a as an established larger organization, we would struggle to have that kind of inter, uh, you know interaction with. Mm-hmm. Here at 1871. I can walk past, you know, 400 little startups at any one day, and you just can't get that kind of exposure. You're a great example of that, Adam, where we would not have had an opportunity to engage with you at this level had we not had this opportunity here at 1871. So I really look at it as this opportunity for us to have almost a reverse mentoring kind of relationship where, yeah, you might learn some stuff from from us, which is great, right? That's why we're here to help contribute back to the community, but we're also really interested in just learning from the community. You've been teaching us a whole new way of thinking around design and design thinking, and we are taking a lot of those learnings internally, and we are reinventing ourselves as well, right, through this relationship that we have here with 1871 and, and EX3 Labs specifically. I appreciate you saying that. I, uh, it's been a pleasure working with Alight. I know there there's so much stuff that is exciting 
about working with large corporations, especially ones that are motivated to um, change the culture and, and establish that that um, design thinking kind of model to uh, to help uh, create better solutions for clients and more um, efficient internal processes. So uh, exciting! So you've had innovation in your title for for about ten years now. Um, in 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 certainly innovation from a standpoint of you look at your background, you've got technology, you have design thinking and um, innovation from a strategic thinking standpoint. Um, how has your approach to innovation developed and changed over, over that 10-year time period? I think one of the key aspects about it, and I alluded to it earlier in that I had a lot of different roles at Intel, um, and then I took that to multiple industries. So I left technology, I went into healthcare, startups, and now I'm in HR. One of the key aspects that I have learned around innovation is that you have to have a thirst for knowledge. You have to remain open and in a constant learning framework. Um, just to say you're innovative doesn't really do a whole lot. Right. You have to be. You have to have that natural curiosity. You have to be willing to set aside what you think you know. In order to learn something new, um, for me, the thirst for just a constant change, uh, constant input of knowledge, uh, the opportunity to interact with uh, the latest thinking, the, the greatest minds, um, the freshest perspectives, to me, is what drives innovation. So, you know, while I've had the title for 10 years, it's really about the fact that every opportunity I get, I look at it as an opportunity to reinvent and learn. Absolutely. And I love that thirst for knowledge piece. So if, if we were going to dive into that a little bit deeper, what's on David Westfall's kind of podcast playlist or bookshelf that you might recommend to listeners related to being more innovative or strategic thinking? Yeah, so I am a consumer of podcasts, um, and it's a fairly eclectic list. So, you know, I will listen to, you know, some of the more traditional. I, I, I'm a big fan of business wars and kind of getting some of the background on, you know, this versus that kind of perspective, but I, I try to listen to a broad range of things um, and read a broad range of things. So, for example, um, I really enjoy listening uh, to Malcolm Gladwell. He uh, often will take something you thought you knew fairly well and really expose you know different perspectives, different ideas around that, and it really gets you thinking. Um, I'm also a big fan of Brene Brown. Um, she is one of the top five TED Talks of all time. I really enjoy listening to her perspectives around how do you bring this notion of uh, what she calls vulnerability to innovation. And I've applied a lot of those learnings where you have to be willing to admit you're wrong. You have to be willing to say, hey, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to be vulnerable. I, I don't see how you can be innovative without being willing to take a risk, to be vulnerable, to be wrong. So those are just a couple of examples of the podcasts I've listened to. Um, but I also do a lot of reading. Um, I am uh, always looking at what's happening in the news, right? But I, I often look for opinion. And I look for opportunity to broaden, you know, the perspective of just what else is going on in the in the in in, in today's technology and where, where markets are going. 
Absolutely. And it's interesting because I believe I have seen in the a light lab that is actually the physical space here at 1871, which is this cool, innovative space where ideas are really created. That's right. Um, we, we have a, a group of creatives, technologists, subject matter experts, and then we invite you know startups to that space as well. So at any one day, I can tell you it is always an interesting conversation going on around <laughs> any particular topic, ranging from just about anything you can think of. So it's, it's really exciting. Absolutely. And, you know, seeing that room, there's some ethos that are on the wall and some kind of models that you are all living by. And I've also seen quite a few books there as well. So that thirst for knowledge is is not only something that I know you you have, but also is translated to to the team at Alight. So I would like to talk a little bit about leadership and specifically what role you believe company your company's leadership plays within setting the culture of an innovative mindset yeah so i first of all i believe innovation needs nurturing and very often that comes from an executive sponsor we're we're very fortunate we have a visionary ceo as part of alight solutions um and he has been instrumental in in driving us forward rethinking and rebranding and and continuously improving right what we do how we think where we need to go um we have just recently brought on our new chief technology officer so we're making a very strong strategic um, investment there. Obviously, you know, my role is relatively new. I've been in this role for about six months now. We've started a new space here in 1871, so that's brand new. And without that executive sponsorship, it's very difficult to get things off the ground. And then you also have to realize that as part of innovation, you're going to go in different directions than maybe what a lot of the traditional thinking back at your your main headquarters is going to be thinking about. And that's the whole point of you know risk-taking and innovation. So as we think about different opportunities, different ways in which we can think strategically, right, we may be veering off a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, almost envision this notion of a funnel where we think through through, you know, we're heading in one particular direction, but do we want to look at the left and the right of that direction as well, just in case, right? right? There's something hidden on either side, or maybe the market changes, or gee, maybe there's a new administration with a different perspective, or, you know, whatever, so that you are ready for what that, you know, future may bring. Absolutely. And I want to double-click in that a little bit because I think that point can't be understated or overstated, I should say, um, in terms of getting company a, a company to fully buy into a, a vision. We work with so many companies, and they have an innovation lead similar to, to somebody who would be in your peer group at another company. But the challenge that they always have is being in a position where they get top leadership to, to be fully bought into it, whether it's there's still a lack of funding funding towards innovation, there's still some type of barrier or impediment towards them really going after these you know KPIs or, or, or goals that they have. So can, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, either tactically or something specific that really demonstrates the fact that the leadership has been bought in and has set the tone for the culture. So one of the things that we've done is, you know, taking space outside of your traditional four walls of, you know, your main company headquarters 
we're downtown Chicago. We're in our own space. We have, you know, an eclectic group of folks who are bringing diverse thinking, skills, capabilities, and that's allowing us to really think differently. So we're no longer in an organizational structure, right, where, you know, we're trying to meet timelines, we're trying to meet budgets, we're trying, you know, to find funding, whatever. While those are important, right, and, you know, you you can't completely ignore them, by being outside of the traditional four walls allows you the opportunity to think differently. So one of the things that we've been doing at the lab is not focusing on a timeline or a specific project. In fact, we don't even refer to things as projects. We call them experiments. Because if you're just experimenting, the opportunity to, you know, hey, that experiment didn't work. I'll move on to the next one. There's a much lower barrier to fear of failure, right, the, fa- the fail fast kind of notion, when you just change the, the vocabulary and the framing of that. So what we're doing here in the lab is we're looking at experiments and we're looking at value. So if this new idea has value, then worrying about a specific budget or a specific timeline, instead what we're trying to really focus on is how do we think of new value? And if that value works its way through, you know, your more traditional um, investigations of return on investment, net present value, all of those tools can help you refine that value. And if that ends up being a positive result, right, then you're kind of working already back to what, you know, the larger organization, the enterprise is going to need in order to justify taking these experiments into a full-fledged, you know, and I'm using the proverbial air quotes of a project, right? Now we've, we've refined it enough where we can distinctly define what we feel this value proposition is around this idea. We've perhaps built prototypes to help demonstrate that idea. And now we can also articulate, here's what we believe that return on investment would be. And we do all of that in the lab incubating. Yeah, that's so awesome, David. And and I think you hit on a couple of key points that I just want to reiterate for the listeners is the fact that this lab represents kind of a separate stream in addition to the the, the project teams that execute all the great work for, for light clients. Um, you have a separate stream just really dedicated to kind of being innovative and experimenting um, that really requires the team to think much more about value than just hitting a specific timeline um, to make sure that you all have the freedom and flexibility to um, test out different ideas. Yeah, hearing that right? That's exactly right. It's an opportunity for us to, you know, potentially partner on a client-driven project. But what we're doing is we're, we're asking questions maybe outside of the traditional framework. So the freedom and flexibility gives us additional perspective. So while, you know, not everything we're doing in the lab may be directly related to a client, in a couple of opportunities it could be. And with that freedom, we can be out there kind of looking at those edge cases where maybe we could introduce a new idea. Maybe we're hearing, you know, a repeated theme across multiple clients and we can go out and start doing some investigation to understand, hey, is there a more you know, basic root cause to some of these challenges and do some experimentation around that so that we can bring back key learnings that then directly help our clients improve or address a particular problem or, or whatever that is. That's the flexibility that it gives us. Absolutely. And it also sounds like it, it really does wonders for helping to set the, 
the tone of the culture over overall um, because it, it I'm sure it gives the team members the feeling of their ideas have a chance to see kind of the light of day. Absolutely. It gives them that chance, and it also gives them the chance to just explore, right? So they can go out, they can look at different ways in which an, a, a, a challenge or an opportunity may present itself, and, and they're free to just try things. And if that trying results in something maybe not maybe that didn't work, we can learn from that and very quickly shift direction. Again, the use of the word of, of experiments versus projects has been really helpful for us. And for those of the listeners that are saying to themselves, that, that's, that's great and all, you've got a physical space, but I don't know if we can actually afford to have a bunch of our team members experimenting all day. Talk to me about kind of the measurement tools that you use um, from a value perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So what we try to do is look at how can we take some of those experiments and bring them back to our greater organization. So you're exactly right, Adam. If we're just you know out there being creative, I refer to it as creating kind of in a silo, um, then you're going to struggle, right, to bring that value back. So one of the key aspects that we do for our lab is we have this notion of a rotation program where colleagues throughout Alight Solutions can actually bring ideas forward. Uh, they can participate in the lab. Uh, we have right now six individuals that are a part of the lab just experimenting, and then they go back to their you know day job, if you will, some weeks later. So we have this notion of rotating ideas through. In fact, one of the best examples I can give is we recently held a, um, an idea fair where folks Folks could submit their ideas, um, and those ideas would go through a review process, and then ultimately the, the finalists got an opportunity to pitch their idea to our CEO, our president, and CFO. So how many times you know, can folks think about having that kind of an opportunity to bring one of their ideas to you know, the top leadership of any company? Um, so a lot of energy and, and, and excitement around that type of activity. So the lab is always looking to bring in new ideas, new mindsets, and new people, right, to help us continuously reinvent. So you mentioned earlier there's a, this eclectic group in the lab, um, different skill sets, different experiences and mindsets. So how do you leverage that to really encourage innovation for teams? Yeah, so you know we bring together uh, a collection of designers, developers, storytellers, um, and subject matter experts. And really, in my past, it has been rare that I have seen one idea from one individual be the idea. In fact, usually it's through the cross-pollination of ideas. One person suggests something, another person may refine that, right? And the diversity of background, skills, experience is where you get to really test the edge boundaries of that particular idea. And it's through that refinement process that you can really start to surface a really new, novel, great opportunity. So it's that diversity, to me, that is absolutely critical to have as part of that core innovation team. 
Absolutely. And it sounds like they all are working together kind of in tandem to... That's exactly right. In fact, you know, we don't have, you know, um, while we're a technology-driven company and technology is very important, we have an equal number of designers. We have an equal number of subject matter experts. We'll go to external parties for us. Uh, partnership is a huge uh, component to the lab. Uh, folks like yourselves at EX3 Labs are, are a key contributor to helping us constantly think about, you know, things that we as an organization organization may not normally consider or think about, um, but we're also looking for external partners all the time to help us. We're not just about cr- trying to build and create everything ourselves. We really believe that it's it's going to take a community. It's going to take partnership. It's going to take a broad range of ideas and perspectives to really bring forward some new, novel, innovative things. So. Let's talk a little bit about companies that are struggling with innovation. You've obviously had this long, extended career, um, everything from the, we mentioned the IT aspect and then into more strategic leadership scenarios related to innovation. What's the biggest piece of advice that you can give to, to a company that is struggling with innovation and trying to drive that? Yeah, I think um, one of the key aspects is realizing and acknowledging that there is change. So if if you start from that first principle of understanding that everything around you is changing constantly, then the old adage of what got you here may not take you where you need to be in the future. And if you accept that, then you start to realize, okay, while we have some great technology now, while we have some great processes right now, we have some great business opportunities right now, that may not necessarily always be true going into the future. So where I've seen companies fail around innovation is their innovation is focused on their current thinking, on their current opportunities. And while that's important, right, that, that's what is driving the success of the company right now, Equally important is looking at where is the future taking us? Where could a new technology disruption, where could a new entrant into your market happen? If you look at today, right, we have uh, uh, markets being blended now. You have uh, entrants into new markets that you know are happening at an ever-increasing pace. You have established markets now going across multiple markets, right, and challenging the notion of how do you sell something, right? How do you consume something? How you build something? How you interact with something? And where I see innovation playing a key role is to be looking that far out, kind of where could this potential opportunity take us? Where could that potential disruption happen? That's where innovation needs to strive. So if your innovation program is just about improving what you currently have, that's where I've seen innovation programs fail the most. Interesting. And what you said earlier, I think it, it expands on that idea, which is that thirst for knowledge. Because that's right. Being curious and being curious about what the future holds is part of um, making sure that companies can be more innovative in terms of their thinking and how they prepare for the future. Are there any other challenges that you've seen um, that, that corporations face in, in terms of staying innovative, um, re- either related to the way they structure their teams or just general mindset scenarios? I think one of the biggest challenges um, for most 
innovation efforts to really get started. As I alluded to earlier, we you need that executive sponsor. But you also need to acknowledge right, the, the company culture and the tolerance of risk that that company and, and, and the culture of the company is willing to take. Innovation by definition, if you're going to be looking into the future, you're going to make, you're going to make wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. There's going to be mistakes, and you have to learn from those. You know, the notion of fail fast is, is frankly, I think a little overused nowadays. Um, I actually think about it as recover quickly, right? So it's not about how fast can I fail. It's really about how fast can I recover. And if you look at it from that perspective, just that little tweak, again, vocabulary matters. It changes the dynamic about, okay, how can I take different, you know, risks, go in different directions, look at different opportunities. And if it doesn't work, how do I just quickly change direction? That's a very different mindset versus how do I fail fast? Um, So that's another area that I think, you know, an innovation program can really help to drive um, success at a company. Absolutely. So one of the stories I love is the story of Yammer, which is really around, you know, this communication tool for enterprises. And the the story goes for for some companies, um, they, they felt like teams were struggling with communication. And the tools that they that were given by their organization just didn't cut it. It was either just email. There was right. kind of before the time of, of instant message for companies, um, individuals were going out and signing up for Yammer and just signing up their colleagues, and they started using the tool. They kind of passed the, the typical governance for, for the large enterprises and kind of went outside of the firewall. But the groundswell of usage was so large that, Enterprises had no choice but to uh, end up signing up for Yammer, kind of the enterprise version of Yammer, um, because they had three or four hundred people within their teams using this communication tool. That's right. It's a brave new world, isn't it? Exactly. So, you know, I'm wondering if 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 there's a scenario you mentioned executive sponsorship and how important that is. If there's a a scenario where a company um, team member can't get executive sponsorship. And they really want to have more of a grounds-up approach to innovation. Are there any pieces of advice that you would give that person? Yeah, um, crowdsourcing is a great way to help surface that. It, it takes away the barrier of, you know, who you happen to know, or do you are you a part of one particular, you know, part of the organization? Um, crowdsourcing is a great leveling of the playing field, especially if you can do that almost as a blind or double blind kind of opportunity. Uh, so we brought crowdsourcing to us at Alight Solutions. And one of the things that we did is as those ideas were coming in, we scrubbed out the name, we scrubbed out the organization as much as we could. Sometimes you could you know, tell from the idea, oh, this is coming from such and such group. But what that allowed us to do was really put all of those ideas on a similar playing field. So it didn't matter if you were an employee literally day two in your career at Alight Solutions or day 30, right, or day, or year 30, right, from Alight Solutions. Everyone's ideas were in the same bucket. And then we had a, a group of folks ranging from, you know, not only our business units and technology units, obviously that would make sense, but we had HR, we had our finance team, we had legal, all looking at those ideas then to surface, you know, our top 10 or 15 ideas. 
and that's how we created this notion of a of a you know a contest with our CEO, president, and, and CFO, as I alluded to earlier. But what it also did, Adam, is it allowed us to surface ideas to broader parts of the organization that, you know, this this started to create an interesting side effect of, hey, I hadn't thought about that. And even if that idea wasn't necessarily the winner or the group of winners, right, those ideas started to spawn new ideas, new opportunities throughout the organization. So it became almost very organic. Um, and it's something we plan to repeat every year as a formal process. And we're also doing it as an ongoing, you know, drop your idea in the box kind of of opportunity as well. So that's a great way of how you can level the playing field and encourage literally anyone from the organization to submit ideas. Absolutely. And I had the pleasure of meeting some of the people that that That's made right. it kind of to the final round, and they were super excited about the fact that their idea made it. And some of these people didn't submit it as a team; they were just an individual. Right. We had teams, we had yeah. individuals, we had vice presidents, we had you know frontline workers, we had, as I mentioned, thirty-year uh, colleagues, and we had thirty-day colleagues submitting ideas. It was amazing. It was great. That's so great. So, can you complete this sentence? Innovation is. Innovation is harnessing the creative spark of a human being. Mm. At the end of the day, if what you're doing doesn't change the heart, mind of an individual, human being, engaging them in what matters to them, then really it's just a nice idea that doesn't ever take root. I love that. So we have a fun question for you. What's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? Oh, great question, Adam. And, you know, kind of true to my uh, constant change and and such is that usually shifts from month to quarter. Um, So I would have said three, four years ago, you know, might have been Facebook. Um, Now it's I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. Um, I also do a lot of podcasts. So I'm right now a Plex user until I find something different. Uh, So, you know, the short answer is I, I actually change that fairly frequently. My phone, my homepage is uh, on my phone. I'm always moving apps around and deleting things. And, you know, I'll, I'll go through my app list and go, oh, my gosh, I haven't l- looked at that for 30 days. And usually my threshold's about 30, 60 days. If I haven't used it, I just get it off the phone. Constant iteration. Constant <laughs> iteration. That's right. Fantastic. Well, thank you, David Westfall, for um, being here today. Um, if someone who's listening wants to um, contact you or um, – follow you on social media or Alight Solutions, what would you recommend? Yeah, so I am on LinkedIn. Um, So David J. Westfall is my LinkedIn profile. I would also encourage folks to follow us on Twitter at Alight Solutions. And we're also on LinkedIn and Facebook as well as Alight Solutions. Thank you, Adam. Had a great time. Fantastic. Thank you. Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.